welcome to the History of Modern Warfare podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Meneth, and I'm here with Dr. Chuck Steele and Dr. Doug Kennedy. We're all three professors of history at one of the U.S. service academies, and we've been tasked with revamping our required military history course that's usually given in the first or second semester of a student's freshman year. I specialize in American history, Dr. Kennedy specializes in air power history, and Dr. Steele specializes in naval history. Now, throughout this podcast, we're going to examine not only modern military history, but also how we teach it at our service academy. At its core, it's basically a conversation between three military history professors and our struggles and triumphs in the classroom. In other words, this is what military history professors talk about in our off time. As a reminder, the views presented here are those of the speakers and do not represent the official views of the U.S. government, the DOD, or any of its subsidiaries. We're excited you're here with us, so let's listen in to the conversation that's already in progress. So welcome back. Uh, I'm here again. I'm uh, Dr. Doug Kennedy. I'm here with uh, Dr. Meneth and Dr. Steele. Uh, to continue on, this is uh, episode three of season two. And today uh, we've included in our discussion of an introduction to military history, uh, a reading on uh, expansionism and imperialism, and then really a focus on the Russo-Japanese War. So the main question we want to tackle in this episode three is what's the relevance of the Russo-Japanese War to our course? Yeah. Yeah, so... So I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and say, that, so it, it, obviously, you know, we have lessons leading into it, and then we're about to, to step into World War I. Um, and I think this is, I think it's a great, uh, you know, sort of a, a great transitional uh, lesson. And, and even, you know, fortunate that we did do some stuff on the Civil War because there are a lot of Americanists, and I think I've mentioned this before, you know, talk about, you know, gee, if, if people would have paid closer attention to, to the Civil War, you know, that somehow you could have avoided, uh, you know, the problems that we experienced in, in World War One, You know, and that's, like I said, you know, last time out, I think that's that's hooey. Um, <laughs> You know, the, the, the last lesson, you know, we talked about the wars of German unification and just, to, you know, which really does an awful lot to, to distort uh, the value of the operational level of war. It, you know, the Germans fight a series of short, successful wars that really go about as well as they possibly could. Um, and so I think it's, you know, it's I do think, you know, when we come out of that. You, know, you look at the way that people are aping you know, German customs or even within Germany, how important it is to draw some association with the military. So, you know, on the war in society end, there's this whole thing about growing militarism and, you know, feeding that monster. Uh, but, you know, within military circles, so this idea that, that operational level excellence is, is you know, the, the key. Um, you know, to, to look, you know, the Russians developing a, a staff college and a general staff on, on the German model, um, which is a good book, and I think I might have mentioned this. I know I've mentioned it with my cadets right back in the 90s, unless unless there's something out there that everybody's saying, oh, no, that's bad. But, I mean, as I recall, it was an outstanding book, was Bruce Menning's Bayonets Before Bullets, um, but talking about sort of, you know, how weak, you know, w- within the creation of these, these, these organs, how weak the Russians actually are in their approach to this. It's sort of, uh, I likened it to my cadets. It's like, you know, so you really, you really love and admire Ferrari, and, and you, know, you, you go out and you... You know, with a 3D printer, you come up with a, a, 
a Ferrari, the you know the frame, and it looks just like a Ferrari, but all you have in your garage to put in it is a Volkswagen engine. You know, it looks you know it looks good. It might have all the trappings of it, but but it's not going to run like a Ferrari because you know you haven't gone through that whole history of building Ferrari engines. And I think that's kind of the situation these guys are going to find themselves in. And we can reattack in the future. But you know, at the end of the wars of unification, it seems like you know that that, that there's a formula for success, or at least there's uh, you know a, a a procedure or precedent for for success. And the Russo-Japanese War, to me, and like what I was trying to go through with my cadets is, here is this more recent event, right? So, you know, 35 years after, you know, Germany does its greatest things. 35 years is a long time, you know. And, a generation. And, you know, yeah, a generation and a half. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, a lot of things have happened. Industrialization has, has been, in a sense, accelerated and transformed, you know, to, to, you know to, to new realms, you know, chemical industries, other things, all this, you know, so that you have new weapons that are more lethal that you know have better propellants and 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 better explosives i mean thinking about warships you know the difference between things in the 1870s you know to to you know to mikasa in 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 1905 togo's flagship uh and and to see you know that one year after that you're going to have the launching of dreadnought i mean it's there's a pace of technological advancement or you know that's going on and i still think that there's a lot of sort of reflecting on the glories of the germans that like somehow that that excellence will transcend all these other developments, and so I have my cadets look hard at the siege of Port Arthur uh, and the Battle of Tsushima as as far as you know places where you could have gone for lessons, because these things, you know, for different reasons. I mean, Tsushima is going to you know sustain you know some people in their their beliefs or the the the, the values that. that Men like Alfred Thayer Mahan have helped to, to, to bring to the fore and the consciousness of, of seafaring nations. Uh, but then the siege of Port Arthur that, you know, this, this isn't, a, you know, a rapid victory with low casualties that modern technology has transformed the tactical realm. Uh, and that any sort of consideration of operations without a, a, an appreciation for the evolution of, of things within the tactical realm, uh, are, are going to have a hole in them. There's, they're going to be lacking. And so this is sort of the, the thing, hey, this is what they should be paying attention to. Um, and yet it isn't, and talk about Hamilton and some of the other observers in the Russo-Japanese War and, and you know, where they come down with, you know, their assessments about what the, the, the real reasons for, for, you know, for Japanese success or Russian defeat more precisely are sort you know, out of keeping with, with, with 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 reality, I think one might say. But anyway, so I really like this because I think it does a great job of sort of setting the cadets up as students of military history to understand that you know you should be looking at the whole of of these things as as it develops. That you shouldn't be enamored with any one thing. Okay, um, so based on that, just to set up the audience, we had them read out of the Parker text. Most of it was on this imperialism, expansionism. The, the new imperialism of the uh, of the later uh, 19th century. But we also had them read an, an article by Walt Albro, Culmination of the Tragedy. So we did focus on uh, Hill 203 yeah. uh, article on the siege of Port Arthur that we just gave him this, I don't know, it was about a 10-page article just on the Hill uh, 203, and then we have this Parker reading. So, Ryan, what do you think? What... What else do you focus on um, uh, with your students? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, for one, I really like this lesson. I think it's a great lesson to tie everything together um, that a lot of military history history classes miss. 
because um, it's not a popular word study. Uh, but I like the reading. I like how, how Parker um, kind of brings it out to that, to that strategic level. And then the, re- uh, the, um, the one on, on Hill 203 is really tactical. Right? So you can, if you don't know the war on that one, you think it's World War I. Right? It's, it's continual assaults against entrenched positions uh, with barbed wire and machine guns, and they all get mowed down. But they keep at it. Right? Um, but one of the things I really like about this lesson particularly is is I introduced Mayhem, just just like you said, Chuck. Oh, uh, which, by the way, our Parker text doesn't do until this next lesson, which I thought was I was disappointed with that. Yeah, they, it, there's no reference to Mahan until the next lesson as we prepare for the 20th century. So, yeah, okay. which, which I always bring it up in this one because I think yeah, it's crucial yeah. because with you. that's what Japan too. bases their Navy on. Yeah. Well, they yeah. retool their as kind of one of the... Everybody... Buying into sort of you know, for, for lack of any other, the cult of Nelson that you know all things, yeah. all yeah. things in sea power, you know, which at the time, I, you know, that's the, the the British are the standard for excellence, and you know, Mahan is is calling this to people's attention as well. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so I always bring up him. Um, the cadets picked up on the fact that the Japanese surprised the Russians at Port Arthur. Yeah, right. And there's a young you know ensign there named Yamamoto, who's who's taken part of that who obviously we'll see in another few lessons. Um, so there's tie then to World War II. There's clearly ties to World War I, uh, both tactically, but I think operationally too, because I talk about how long it takes the Russians to get to, to Port Arthur, right? whether by sea or by the Trans-Siberian Railroad. And so if you're Germany and you're coming up with a future plan to attack uh, in Europe, then that's, that's automatically stuck in your mind is oh, the Russians are going to take forever. A different take on the tyranny of distance. Right, right. Uh, yeah. A non-romantic take. Yeah, that's interesting. So, you know, it's funny because when I was initially conceiving this lesson, I wanted our deep dive article to be on the Battle of Mukden mm-hmm. and, you know, the assaults and the rationale of why Kurpakton is retreating. Uh, but this article, I likened it to the West Point article we had on Russo-Japanese. Was that Edward Dre who did that? A chapter. I, th- I think it was Dre. But it, but it opens up, that article in the West Point text opens up similarly to this article in the fact of uh, uh, Nogi Marusuka, who has been there in uh, the Sino-Japanese War, fought, it shows that just within a decade, the changing character of warfare, given as, uh, Chuck, you talked about the technologies, right? You've got all these technological improvements that just within a decade have quickly advanced. Um, so I thought that was interesting that both articles yeah. uh, kind of opened up with that. Um, hey, here's a guy that is ready to do uh, seppuku because he lost so many troops yeah. in uh, 1904 and 5 versus um, what he was able to do a decade earlier. So uh, so the article I thought was pretty good. Um, okay, so... Right. Well, it's, it's, you know, kind of reminds me, one of the things I used to send out were, were those clips from the... West Point Weapons series. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, a a nice point of contrast because you brought up, you know, General Nogi. And, you know, somebody, if you think about the, you know, the older officers or you think about somebody, you know, from from, from the time of the Wars of German Unification in the 1870s, yeah, you've got improved artillery. You don't have fully modern artillery. I mean, that's like usually people say the French 75 is, is you know, sort of the first of those things. But obviously by the time you get to Port Arthur, you've got these siege guns firing five, you know, 500-pound, you know, explosive, high-explosive projectiles. And, it, it, you know, again, like as Ryan had said, it, it looks – you would, if you didn't know what you were reading about, you would think you're, you know, 
reading about a, a battle in, in 1915 or mm-hmm. 1914, 16, whatever, you know, it's, yeah. um, and, and so, you know, I, I think this is, you know, I always thought it was sort of an interesting thing to talk about in eighteen in the eighteen sixties in the United States. They had a one of the the West Point videos was uh, the twelve pound Napoleon cannon, which this is your crew served anti personnel weapon system, and it's effective. And like you know, because because Alpha and the guy who's you know talking about like secondary projectiles from bodies and canteen, you know, and and you know it shows and it looks like it's it's really effective, but a relatively you know low rate of fire. So but go forward, you know, in those you know, in, in the 40 years from the end of the Civil War to the end of the Russo-Japanese War, your crew-served anti-personnel weapon system is a water-cooled machine gun. And he has a video on that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and whereas he talks about, you know, would you would you rather fire a Gatling gun or, a, a you know, a 12-pound Napoleon? It's like, you know, at that time, definitely the 12-pound Napoleon. But if your choice is a 12-pound Napoleon or, a, you know, there's a reason that disappears from the battlefield. And But the, the, anyway, the point I'm trying to get at is that, you know, you think within the, the lifespan of someone like Nogi or you think about the people who are conceptualizing operations or what they want their armies to do, you know, the, the world that they grew up in in terms of tactical experience and forming sort of, you know, their, their ideas about, hey, based on this, this is how I see the army running out and these are the things my soldiers are going to do. You know, how much more difficult you know, everything at the tactical level will become because of technology. And so I used to like that as like, you know, think about it, you know, in the span of a generation and a half, two generations, this is the transformation that goes on. And, and throughout all of military history, it doesn't advance so much. I mean, a 12 pound Napoleon cannon. Yeah, that's a great thing. But you know, how, how, how different, you know, is that really from say like, you know, the groove of all artillery system, you know, from back in, 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 you know, the, the Napoleonic wars, it's like, this is, you know, this is, you know, really different. I mean, that might be different, but this thing is, is, is so, you know, earth shatteringly different. And, and how much attention do we, you know, do we or the observers in this conflict pay, you know, to, to those differences and, you know, still coming away with these ideas about, you know, like the, the book I mentioned with, with Menning, which isn't so much about this, but the, the title suggests, you know, the idea that even with, you know, bolt action rifles and marksmanship becoming more important, that there's still sort of this preference for, for being able to drive your opponent before you yeah, at the point of a bayonet. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, which has proved, you know, that's what they take away. They want the takeaway to be that from the siege of Port Arthur, from the Battle of Muckden, that, yeah. hey, we were correct. The esprit will always overcome. Yeah. The yeah. Japanese win. <coughs> but it's like if the war lasts a little bit longer, what are the Japanese going to fight with? Because they'll start running out of people. That's right. Well, and that's the other thing that I like to, to tie in is is that kind of that racial element too, right? Is, is the Japanese or the Russians at the time are not looked highly upon, right? They're they're looked at as a lesser race, which that's one of the things Western Europeans are like. Well, yeah, okay, but we can do it better because we're Western Europeans, yeah. right? So there's a there's a racial element there that that would be remiss if we don't bring up. Well, I think it's like class. Yeah, that, that is interesting. I do that a lot in class. I say something that I, I try to bring out is uh, hubris or arrogance, right? Yeah. That uh, yeah. because I, I'm fearful of our own nation and how we view our military and our capability with our military. So whenever there's a chance to, uh, where another nation is doing that to their detriment, I want to yeah. remind the students, yeah. hey, you know, uh, there could be some similarities. Well, as I said, on the point you were made, I think it was Ian Hamilton. I think it's Hamilton. I, I had to go back. I mean, actually, I have a p- paper from way back when. But uh, I remember in grad school, like reading through his his, you know, 
reminiscences, his his you know observations, I guess is what I should say of, of the Russo-Japanese War. But in there, you know, coming to the conclusion that you know the, the, the Japanese succeed, you know, in part because the Russians are the worst examples of of manhood in Europe. That it's you know that again, like you said, yeah. it gets down to this this you know racial you know assumption, you know, or or you know, and trying to talk to people today, it's like, hey, you know, far as I get it, I mean, I don't know. I don't think we've come up with with something beyond Homo sapiens, you know, one genus, one species. You know, obviously these, you know, Hamilton's running the time before anybody understands human DNA. Um, you know, which, but you know, that takes them away from a a a study true analysis of, of yeah of organization and training. I try. That's one of the other things I brought up in 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 this is that you know you needed to appreciate the fact that it kind of goes back to the point I was making earlier about a Ferrari with a Volkswagen engine. You know, yeah, you know, the Russians create, you know, things that, that are, are in name similar to, to what, you know, the Germans have created. Um, you know, the Japanese, meanwhile, do something, you know, kind of even better because before, you know, the, the midpoint in the, in the 19th century, Japan is, is still, you know, a feudal state. But in 50 years' time, you know, when you're starting at zero and you're trying to... They to, have a revolution. Yeah, and... Yeah. and they go, they seek out, you know, yes. expertise, and, you know, and initially going to France, but then to Germany to, 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 to you know, seek military advice, strictly speaking, but always, you know, to, to get back to the Mahan point, you know, there's, there's one place where you're going to go for, you know, help in terms of naval organization, naval training, um, you know, and even ship design. I, I sent out, it was kind of cheesy, but, um, you know, the, the Russian company that does World of War Games has made a number of historical shorts, and one of them was on the battleship Mikasa, which is, you know, Togo's flagship at, at Tsushima. It's a British-built battleship, and in 05, it's state-of-the-art. But it's not just that you have the technology, because, you know, if you went back to the Sino-Japanese wars, I understand, you know, the, the Chinese have more, and perhaps in some instances, better ships, but not the same organization, not the same training, you know, not the same attention to the details that make you successful in fighting. And, and you know, there is, you know, th that seems to be something that maybe is missing in all of this, is that you forget the hard work that goes in to actually, you know, making one force better than another. Um, and it's just too easy to ascribe it to some sort of, you know, characteristic that doesn't include study, you know. And so anyway, I just, which I think is kind of, you know, I, I, when, you know, we're about to go into World War One. You know, people are going to be victims of of their assumptions for a very long time, and and even within the Royal Navy, I think that's going to be a problem. I'll send you guys an article that just, but talking about like you know, one of the big heroes in their Navy, you know, David Beatty, that he's a great fighter, you know, at the at the lowest possible level. But here's somebody who I, you know, I, I think you cannot, you know, throw on him that he had studied the demands of his profession or had experienced them at sea in high enough rank to really understand what he's doing. But it's those other things. Like Churchill loves him because he, it, Churchill will say that, you know, he thinks of his problems more of a soldier than as a sailor. It's like there's still this, you know, there are still these, you know, these strong biases that people are carrying with them that somehow exempt the people who should be most informed you know, from the burden of studying. Absolutely. Well, that goes into that nationalism aspect of all this, right? Is oh, we're German, we're better than you because we have, because we had 
yeah. Bismarck and von Mulkey. And then, you know, uh, pick the nation. Every nation, you know, is thinking that they're going to be better than the other guy because of one of their biases. The United States, and, you know, we're headed with, with Pershing. Yeah. You know, big divisions, superior marksmanship, you know, yeah. and, and American fighting spirit. It's like, okay, you know, if your army's less than 200,000 guys, you know, your big divisions are going to be made up of a lot of amateurs. And superior marksmanship is like, you're also going to be drawing these people from big population centers where, you know, this is, this is you know, the end of the 19th century, not the end of the 20th mm-hmm. century. So it's not like you got a whole lot of people with experience, you know, with firearms, you know, you know especially in the city. So it's like, we're, we're, you know, this is like all based on, on some sort of, you know, bias yeah. that, that's, that's not founded in reality. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, the technology is the other part, fun part of it, too. Interesting. I should say yeah. fun. Well. Because right? a lot of them do. They bank on their battleships or they bank on the machine guns or they bank on whatever technology they have. And it's it, it's great in class to pull out these lessons and at the end of each class say, okay, what lessons – can we take any of these lessons and apply them to today? Right? We just we just pulled out of Afghanistan. Right? Clearly, we had bias for 20 years. At least I noticed it every time I was over there. With people saying, "Oh, they're they're Afghans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they don't have planes, so what are they going to do?" And clearly, they did enough. All right. I mean, same thing with Iraq. So, so we can still take these biases today. And in part on these cadets, this is not a, a hundred year ago type of event. This is something that is still human it's, nature. It's yeah. human nature. It's yeah. still occurring, and you need to recognize it. Otherwise, you'll, you'll fall victim to it. Well, I, I yeah, I just think immediately comes my shock and awe. You know. <laughs> It's yeah. like, you know, well, don't you have to understand just how, you know, is your opponent actually going to be awed into submission by, by your efforts to shock them? Yeah. Right. And Mere imaging, right? Yeah. It affects you, right? And, and that will it affect your opponent. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's a, but again, yeah, it's, these are things that we do well. So this is what we, you know, if we, you know, to, so to go back, not to, you know, to, to, to the German model after the wars of unification, and I know this is, we want to save this more for the next time, but if you do so well at something at one point, you know, that, you know, it seems easy, you're so much better than the people around you. Well, of course, the next time that we do this, you know, we'll achieve a similar result. And, you know, this is, I think this is, you know, one of the points we, as historians, everybody hates, you know, history, you know, it's better to learn, you know, because history repeats, it never repeats itself. You know, not for better or not for worse. And and so to think that you, you know, because you've mastered one situation, that you're the master of all situations, uh, that's, that's, that's a dangerous delusion. Right. Okay, so it looks like uh, we're definitely, that this seems to be a lesson that has to be in, uh, some yeah, kind absolutely. of absolutely. continuation of understanding uh, introduction to military history. We're lucky because we chose the breadth uh, of topic that allows us to uh, to insert this only one lesson, but we could have had more. Um, good reading in Parker. Uh, good reading by Walt uh, Albro on the uh, siege of uh, Port Arthur. Nice short one coming out of Military History Quarterly. Uh, any final reattacks? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great tie from from the war yeah. German education to World War One. Yeah, and I, I think that it also. You know, I, I think this also, for us, you know, and here's, you know, the confirmation, you know, of our own biases, but I think that this lesson, the way that it is and where it stands, you know, going immediately after the wars of, of unification is that 
I, you know, I hope that what the cadets are picking out of this is that, you know, there's, you know, there's importance to, to looking at each one of the, you know, you talked about breadth, but, you know, depth, there's importance to looking at each one of these levels uh, and, and understanding how things change. In this case, not so subtly, yet somehow, you know, it's not to the level that it draws everyone's attention, but that this is, you know, you, you do need to look at each one of these levels. I mean, it's like, you know, understanding German strategy and understanding Bismarck. That's, that's tremendously important because once Bismarck's gone, that is going to change German strategy and understanding, you know, operations, right? What the Germans are trying to achieve and, and maybe, you know, maybe that some of their goals look the same, but, you know, without similar strategic circumstances and facing new tactical level challenges, it's not the same. So, uh, you know. So we're going to hail that yeah. to the next. As we get yeah. to the origins of Friday, we'll discuss origins of World War One, And we want to kind of do this tie back to the wars of German unification as we get back centered in Europe again. Um, okay. Thanks for, uh, thanks for your time. Absolutely. All right. Great time.